Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 144 for Monday, June 7th, 2021. My name is Joel Duggan, and joining me as always is my friend Johnny. But do you know the Bastion Man? The Bastion Man that lives on <laughs> Nether Lane? His name is Pixel Riffs. Hello, sir. Hello. I've removed the Bastion from Nether Lane and put it very much, very firmly in Overworld Avenue. Um, <laughs> we are, we're on one gross of, of episodes. I've been reading uh, Lord of the Rings again, and 144 just feels like a very significant number to me for some reason. But uh, yes, 12 times 12 on the uh, on the episodes. And uh, if you want to know what else we've been up to lately, uh, you can listen into the Render Distance, the extended version of the uh, the spawn chunks you can get that at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks where you can hear all about joel's latest adventures in barbecue which is guaranteed to make you and everybody else in our live chat and discord hungry that's once again patreon.com slash the spawn chunks if you have to suffer then uh i will suffer along with uh, i make myself hungry talking about barbecue, uh, <laughs> yes <and> so <laughs> uh but it is a good time it's a it's a fun adventure and way more entertaining than smelting beef in a furnace in minecraft i will have to say absolutely yeah we're, we're going to be uh i don't know if we're going to be roasting the nether update today but our, our main task here today is going to be having a look back at the nether update before we move into the caves and cliffs update of course part one comes out tomorrow so we are very excited for that but in the meantime how have you been making the most of your time remaining in 1.16 so i did wrap up uh the snapshot kind of playthrough last week we found a geode finally uh, and did some grid mining under my desert to find it. Uh, didn't really do anything with it. Uh, I had to do two by two tunnels every 10 blocks vertically, and then started to do single block tunnels every 10 blocks horizontally in order to find it. Thankfully, it didn't take too long. You did it the organized way, though. You were like, we, we are finding one of these things come hell or high water. Yeah, because I, w I wanted to see one. I knew with the release date uh, and the fact that I was kind of running out of steam on the survival um, snapshot world and anything that I had left to do is like I would just have to redo it on the Citadel anyway so there would just be repetitive content I just I wanted to try and just see if I could find one and kind of wrap my head around how the best way to do it and all I did was just kind of like remember anecdotally from screenshots roughly how big they were yeah. which is in my mind between I think it's between six and 12 blocks in diameter and so I just said okay we'll just use 12 as as a a roundabout number uh, the one that we found happened to be 13 uh, and I just put 10 blocks in between my tunnels my tunnels were two blocks tall and as I started to grid through I was like well the chances of completely missing one are pretty slim um, I, we almost did we only hit the corner of it <laughs> so I don't know if we would have hit the hit it uh, with the other tunnel but still it was fun to find uh, didn't have a chance to do anything because it took the better part of 90 minutes to actually find the geode uh, but it was fun kind of like systematically looking and trying to figure out how to do that, you know, on the Citadel when the time comes. Um, but uh, we had a lot of fun just kind of mucking around, uh, mostly just marveling at how cool they look and how cool they sound yes. was really mm -hmm. the rest of the stream. Uh, built a spyglass, you know, uh, looked at a couple of things and, um, you know, kind of thought about what those are going to be used for in, in the world and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I'll get more into that in just a little bit. Um and then on the Citadel, I moved over and uh, continued on with my uh, my builds on the um, on the marketplace. Uh, I've been working on uh, a butcher shop, and it's going quite well actually. Uh, it's almost done. I want to say I still have the upstairs detail to do inside. Uh, I challenged myself to build with a couple of things I don't normally build with: jungle wood and granite. 
and I thought it was going to look good. And then I gradually realized that I really needed more contrast in it. Mm -hmm. And granite and jungle wood are just too tonally similar. Uh, and so I switched them to, I switched to brick. Brick reads tonally a little bit darker than granite. Uh, so even though it's still the same ready kind of salmon pink color, uh, it, it does come down a little bit in terms of it's a darker block. And so that seems to work okay. I'm still not incredibly happy with it. I just, I want, I needed something darker. I even tried dark oak planks and they were just too dark. They were too saturated. And uh, and so I ended up just kind of sticking with the brick. I'm probably going to stick with it, especially if I can turn what will be a smokehouse behind it, which I haven't started yet, uh, into uh, something made out of brick. Like made it make it look kind of almost like a clay kiln sort of idea, but mm -hmm. then hang hang meat and stuff. Um, and, uh, the most fun that I had was probably doing the inside. We do have the more mob heads data pack and the, uh, armor stand statues data pack from vanilla tweaks on the server. And so I use that to hang nether rack and jungle wood blocks, uh, as heads on armor stands. Uh, one of them is just placed on the chopping block, but the other two are hung from chains, you know, big air quotes. Cause of course I'm using a using a um, armor stand to hang them. Uh, and um, by moving the armor stand around, I can actually hang two chains and then have them look like they're off, like hanging at different heights, which just adds a little bit more dynamic to the design. And of course, you can't have a butcher shop without putting um, crimson nylium and warped warp block uh, along the ground and some warped vines hanging from the ceiling to that look like guts or sausages yeah, uh -huh. or whatever so it's a well-used space is what i'm trying to get at i, I love the butcher shop builds always end up like a little bit gross and it, it's <laughs> it's it's just the way of these things but uh yeah i i do like the aesthetic of having stuff hanging at different heights it's the kind of thing that you are you, you find yourself feeling kind of limited occasionally by if, if you've got a small space like this especially Again, we talk about sub-block details so often on this show, but just needing to hang things at like a slightly different, like a couple of pixels higher than a full block is, uh, you know, always a bit of a challenge. And I think armor stands are apparently the tool to do that if you're the kind of person who likes to tinker with that stuff. I would I would spend hours doing it if I if I had the the armor stand stuff in my world. So I, I, I tend to stay away from that. It's kind of like the chisels and bits mod. I just feel like mm -hmm. I'd just get sucked into playing with that for hours, but... I guess once you've got a bit of a rhythm with it, it's going to be easier for you to do. I like the vanilla game aesthetic most of the time. So especially with things like the other data pack we use a lot, which is the tables and chairs data pack. There are fancier things that look like chisels and bits in that pack that I don't use because I find that they don't kind of match the rest of vanilla Minecraft. And if I was to use chisels and bits, I feel like I could probably rein myself down to like, yes, it's going to be cool to use, but I'm only going to use like chunky looking things things that i wish i could do you know in vanilla minecraft but not like stuff that wouldn't fit in the game mm -hmm. um but yeah it's it's um i've been having a lot of fun with with the the armor stand data pack version i think it's version 8 or 2.8 i can't really remember um vanilla tweaks.net is the website people can go and find it for yourself uh and it's um it's not the best interface, but it's probably limited by what Minecraft allows you to do. But I've gotten pretty good at it. And I want to say that I think the iterations that they've made on the book have improved it. Because I remember when we first got it uh, back on, uh, on I think, 1.14 or 1.15 on the server, it was really frustrating to use. And it's a lot easier now. Like, I put that together on stream thinking that this is going to be potentially me bashing my head against the monitor frustrating. And actually, it wasn't. It came together quite quite nicely. 
Um, the other little thing that I did, which is, it's just a small little touch, but the area next to my um, carpenter place that I built uh, a couple weeks ago, the landscape wasn't done along the river. And so I just, I put like a stone staircase and a stone walkway and a little, um, uh, I think it's called a barlin, um, it, which for to more boats to. Um, but the thing that I'm the happiest with is a little drain, <laughs> which is such a simple little detail, but with waterlogged stairs and a trap door, I was able to look like there's like a storm drain that empties water into the river mm -hmm. from the roads above. And it's it's little stuff like that. I really like adding those touches to Minecraft. It's not something you're necessarily, necessarily going to pour over when you see it, but to see it out of the corner of your eye, it just adds function to the fashion that you see all around you yeah and it makes like the flat walls and stuff look like they have infrastructure integrated into them and you know implies that the city has something resembling a decent hygiene system or sewer or you know what whatever you can you can manage with this kind of thing and yeah it just adds a little bit more life to the area it's a, it's a neat little touch and again a detail that is relatively quick to produce you spend a little bit of time tinkering with it but then it is uh it is there and only requires, you know, enough material for a trapdoor and a stair. Yeah, no, exactly. I, the flat wall comment actually has me thinking it's the one thing that I don't like about that particular section is that how flat it is from a geometry's pr perspective. There are some stone walls across the top that have a little bit of depth, but the wall itself, I just really couldn't figure out a way to ha give it some depth without sacrificing foot space down on the platform below. And I didn't want to build too far out into the river. And in doing some research, uh, looking at river walls and retaining walls and walls of cities, like they're flat. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, <laughs> you know, if they're meant, if they're meant to keep someone out, they're meant to not be climbable, which means they're flat. And you, you'd think that they have all this detail, but they really don't. This is something that I struggle with, with Minecraft all the time, because so often a flat wall is just what people would use in real life, but it never looks particularly good in Minecraft. And the reason for that mm -hmm. is obviously going to be repetitive texture, right? Like if, mm -hmm. if you're building the entire thing, out of one color of stone and it has no age to it the way a flat wall of stone is going to in the real world like you know there would be different colors of stone mixed in there the kind of strata of the stone would be obvious or if it's you know cut stone then it's going to have different marbling and different levels of polish and dirt from the street is going to have interacted with it and you know there's all, all this kind of stuff it's like the way the brick texture in minecraft doesn't look anything like brick in the real world even though it's probably you know effectively color picked from an image of bricks somewhere and the mortar is the color that mortar should be because it looks so clean and living mm -hmm. living in an area that uses red brick a lot every brick is a slightly different color and mm -hmm. overall it creates this very nice aesthetic impression which you don't get at all from the texture in minecraft because even if you alter the brick texture every other brick is going to look like the same color as one two bricks over from it and it tends to look very repetitive so that's why you know texturing stuff with stone brick and andesite like you've done in the screenshot of this wall like it it helps it doesn't necessarily take away from the geometry of the wall itself but it just adds enough texture that makes you think oh yeah you know you can forgive the fact that that's a flat wall by nature of it having some other stuff going on yeah it's it's one of the challenges that i've found in this 
palette that I've chosen for the medieval town is that it's most of the walls are gray because it gives you the most flexibility texture wise and, yeah. you know, cracked bricks and cracked stone and details and things like that. I'm also trying to treat it in a, in a minimalist fashion. Like I'm creating the walls out of stone, like natural stone blocks in Minecraft and then adding like andesite details, the odd brick here and there and trying not to build the whole thing out of stone bricks, which just to me gets noisy and then limits you as far as what you can do. Um, I, it's, we'll, we'll see how the future of this town unfolds, but so far, I mean, it's really starting to get populated this consistent, you know, um, I say work, but it's play, uh, on weekends, you know, building a new, a new structure, every one to two streams, uh, the city skyline is starting to kind of come together and it's, it's feeling pretty good. Yeah, glad to hear it. It's it's been a <laughs> it's been great getting updates on this this town sort of every so often, like when I can stop by streams or when I hear you talk about it on the show. And you know, hopefully for folks at home, it is uh, the the picture is starting to come together. The jigsaw is building in your minds as well as on the screen. Speaking of big things coming together, how is your world coming? <laughs> oh boy! Um, well, obviously I have not been able to finish the museum in time for the launch of 117, but I've been doing a reasonable job tying a few things together. Uh, the most recent task being, aside from rebuilding a bastion, uh, capturing mobs for the mob exhibit, and then uh, just this morning actually I recorded the world tour for the end of Survival Guide Season 1. Uh, so that's going to be out tomorrow at uh, the time of this recording. Um, so barely anything in the survival guide world really feels finished at this point. And I think this is mostly down to the nature of it being a tutorial series. I mean, I, I, I conceived the series as something to inspire other people, not to spend time fulfilling my own building whims and doing 50 episodes on just one project. I feel like the most I ever put into something was I did a whole week where we built the castle, and even the castle isn't properly finished. So, yeah, I, I, I think a lot of the projects in this, and it's fairly typical of my style, are things that I sort of started and then skipped my way through a little bit to show people the bits that I thought were interesting to make tutorials about, and then moved on. Um, but the museum is something that I am going to be working on. Even though 117 is out, I'm going to stay in 116 in my own time and treat the museum as like more of a hobby project and a casual world than something that I make content from from now on. Uh, and then I'm going to try and release a world download for the survival guide in July. Um, but yeah, I put together the entire Bastion Remnant. That's all, all taken care of now. It is the tallest thing in the museum. Uh, which is going to make it difficult to build the structure, but we'll give it the old college try. Uh, previously, the tallest thing in the museum, I think, was a jungle tree. <laughs> so this gives jungle trees a run for its money, for sure. Um, but yeah, in, in the background, I've been working on bits and pieces of, of the infrastructure. I've got a system of 4x4x4 four by four by four boxes that a lot of the mobs that I've captured are stashed in. And on a stream over the weekend, I captured all of the mobs associated with Illager raids. So we have a Pillager, a Vindicator, an Evoker, a Ravager, and a Witch, all of whom I got from just putting two Villagers in a glass box uh, with workstations, uh, surrounding them with minecart tracks, and just running minecarts on them constantly, and having like 15 or 16 minecarts all going at once. Anything that tried to get within the radius of these villagers immediately caught up in a minecart. And so I got a Ravager very easily, actually, that way. It's probably the, the smoothest that's ever gone. Um, and then just dropped it in through the top into these cells with glass walls. Uh, did the same with uh, Vindicator and uh, a Pillager. The Evoker was the hardest one to get. 
and our first evoker was not very cooperative, but the second managed to get in a minecart and I managed to, you know, get in close and push him off on the uh, the rails that I had set up before he started summoning vexes everywhere. And yeah, I only got like attacked by vexes a couple of times during that process, mostly because I needed to name tag him to make sure he wouldn't despawn. But uh, yeah, all in all, a really fun time and something fun to do uh, on stream. The stuff I wanted to save for off-stream was the long voyages back from far-flung biomes. Like, I, I plan on going to a jungle and getting a panda and an ocelot, because those are technically different from cats now. But the nearest jungle to the museum is about 3,000 blocks away. So I just have oh, wow. to find a, an ocean route back from there with a panda, I guess. Um, and obviously, like, I could go the whole hog and be like, these are all the different variants of pandas. Look, there are eight different pandas. One of them's brown that's really hard to find. And I just, I just don't know if I can be bothered at this point. But I do want to at least have, you know, fun examples of what each of the mobs in the game are. Um, moving the shulker in is going to be quite fun as well because as soon as I take him out of the boat he's going to teleport everywhere it's going to be it's going to be a laugh but I'm hoping to get the museum finished and probably very few of the other unfinished projects in the world will actually get done because I don't want to go back and place more snow layers on the mountain or anything but I think it's going to be fun to distribute this to people and maybe they can play around uh, in in their own copy of the world once I've got the world download up probably in about a month's time but uh, who knows, because I've already got projects on the go for 117. Nice. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to the panda migration because I don't know if you've ever seen a panda in the back of a boat, but it's, it's pretty funny. <laughs> it's great. They're like trucks. It's so funny. <laughs> um, I, I actually, I may have nearly stolen a panda from somebody the other day because... Um, the SMP that I'm joining has uh, launched. I mean, it's live, although the first episodes aren't going to be out until Saturday the 12th, so next Saturday at the time of this recording. Um, and so we've already been doing a couple of group collabs, just kind of the early days mining and kind of meeting up and saying like, well, what is this project? What are we all doing? Um, it's a small SMP. It's about 10 people, myself included. So it's, it's a, a nice little kind of tight-knit cast. And uh, we're all taking over individual biomes and, and building our own bases there and then establishing trade routes for different resources and trying to have like sort of a monopoly on one type of farmable resource in an area and claiming like you know one person is going to have the iron farm and then we're going to have to come to them for iron and trade for it but potentially you know come in and steal things and start conflicts over it mainly just so that we don't have everybody all building the same farms and like everybody doing the laggy you know villager trading farms or whatever that kind of stuff um so i've already found my location i found a village in my desert i don't know if i'm going to keep all of the villagers but i mainly went there so that i could trade up to fortune 3 and go mining because of course now you have fortune 3 affecting stuff like iron and copper and i really want to build a lot with copper in this server so i i basically wanted to go mining with fortune as at my earliest opportunity and I came home with a lot of iron. I think I got about 14 stacks of raw iron, which amounts wow. to a, a lot in terms of... Uh, that was from a one-hour mining session as well, I should add. So, yeah, it, it comes down to a lot of raw iron. And I think I got about eight stacks of raw copper, which, while it's fine for an hour's worth of mining, while I was also gathering other resources, that's still less than a stack of copper blocks when you smelt it. And copper blocks is really what I'm after here. So... I am I'm interested in how that goes and how much of my time I just have to spend going mining because as far as I'm concerned there's not really a viable way of farming copper 
any other way yet. Even drowned farms, I don't think, are going to be worth it because it's just an infrequent drop from from drowned. Um, so until I have time to start building, until I've kind of put out these last episodes of Survival Guide and started my other series, which is going to be like a hardcore tutorial series, um, I'm mostly just hanging out with villagers. <laughs> and, and that's going quite well for me so far. Uh, more updates on this server will be in future episodes, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, it shows promise so far. And I'm kind of enjoying playing 117 in the pre-releases. Nice. Did did you say that you're you you got your fortune from trading with a villager? Yeah, I got a a fortune mm. one book from a librarian trade, and then just combined right. it to get fortune three. So ah, uh, uh, librarian. I was thinking yeah. toolsmith. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No. No. Sa sadly, not. Um, my the toolsmith that I ended up getting. This is going to be in my first episode. Uh, ended up wandering off and getting zombified in a cave. But as I've recently learned from building a mob switch, zombified villagers, if you've traded with them already, are persistent. So as long as nothing else kills them, like sunlight or anything, then mm. you can find them and cure them. And so I did. I ended up having to, because I didn't want to go to the nether, because I wasn't sure if anyone else had been to the nether, server hasn't even officially like launched. I didn't want to go to the nether to get potion brewing and splash potions of weakness. So I ended up trading with a whole bunch of fletchers, and I got weakness arrows, and I cured him that way. And that's the first time I've ever done that. So like, yeah, already. Cool. this already this server is like pulling up firsts for me and and like fun approaches that i haven't tried yet so i'm i'm kind of looking forward to seeing how it all goes i like the uh rp approach to focusing on one or two resources in your particular area yeah so like if you're in a dark oak forest you're the dark oak person you know mm -hmm. for the foreseeable future and rather than everybody saying like well I want dark oak. I'm just going to go get my own instead of saying like, well, I want dark oak. So let's, let's go with the flow of the server and go trade with the dark oak person with whatever I have, whether that's sand or like you said, copper, maybe you want to keep all the copper for yourself. Like I, you know, that kind of stuff, it, it creates some interesting dynamic. Again, it would make you wonder what the early resources would be like, who's going to be the wheat farmer. Cause that's probably yeah. going to come in handy for everybody. Everybody needs food. You know, yeah. everybody needs like, are you going to go with, here's the thing that you can get for me to create your own food or is he, are you going to just have the cows ready? Like, is, are you just going to be selling beef? You know? Yeah. Like just, I guess it depends on where you are and who is the quickest to find a cow and get them bred up. Like my cow farm on my snapshot world came together quite quickly because they were already in a pen in a desert village. There was like four of them. So like mm -hmm. it really took no time at all to get them going because there were hay bales everywhere in the village. I didn't have to do any farming. You know, I just started to breed them up immediately. So it worked out quite well. Yeah, the server is full of builders, so like denying us access to certain resources is going to be a kind of an interesting <laughs> process. And honestly, I don't think we're going to divide it up as as granular as like you're not allowed to have this type of tree without my permission. But I think when it comes to stuff like you know who's going to have maybe a more automatic tree farm so that you can get larger amounts of stuff like that's going to be right. a bargaining chip for trade. Uh, a couple of people found geodes quite early, and they were very keen on like selling the calcite to everybody. And then we did a group caving session, and it turns out there were like four or five more geodes just underneath one of the, the their bases. And so, like, it turned out that yeah, the calcite idea, while it's still going to be a rare block and not renewable yet, was potentially like off the table at that point because it turns out people were able to find as much of it as they needed for the time being. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in seeing how the copper stuff is going to turn out because yes, I want to build with a lot of it, but. I also recognize how difficult it's going to be for people to get a lot of it and also how the aging process is going to make certain blocks of copper more valuable. Like we've been talking about with 
not wanting to build with copper until it's aged so that you understand what the color of the thing is going to be permanently um that's going to be an interesting thing so i'm going to set up a, a honeycomb farm as soon as possible and maybe be able to trade people like pre-waxed pre uh aged versions of copper once i figure out the best way to do that well, speaking of all the 117 features, we've got some news this week. Of course, uh, Minecraft Java Edition 117, the Caves and Cliffs Update Part 1, is coming out tomorrow, June 8th. Uh, in between last show and this show, however, there were three pre-releases. Pre-release 3, 4, and 5. The changes in pre-release 3 include tweaking the textures of lit candles, Mobs renamed by, uh, rammed by goats, not renamed by goats. That would be a feat. Uh, mobs, <laughs> mobs rammed by goats will no longer retaliate. Axolotls and glow squids now only spawn in total darkness. And where there's a natural stone block less than five blocks below the spawning space. Fixed bugs in pre-release three, uh, which are numerous. Uh, a few that we thought were worth mentioning are baby axolotls despawn that has been fixed floating water in caves and under the ocean has been fixed and cave generation seems to be broken at seemingly random chunk borders along with lit candle texture doesn't change when on a cake so those have all been fixed changes in pre-release four holding down control while holding down space now makes the credits scroll even faster again a number of bug fixes in pre-release four uh, the ones we thought were worth mentioning are when a crossbow is loaded in the offhand, you cannot see it or shoot with it if an item is held in the main hand. Game crashed while debug profiling, and any hostility between animals is removed in peaceful mode. Those bugs have all been squashed. Uh, no changes in pre-release 5, just bug fixes, and two worth mentioning are that the Caves and Cliffs data pack server caused an error, and Breaking Bamboo is excessively laggy since the 117 pre-releases have been coming out. All those bugs have been squashed in pre-releases 3, 4, and 5. And after that, uh, the team decided it was time for a release candidate. So on June 4th, uh, they had release candidate one. Uh, once again, links to the patch notes for this uh, in our show notes. You'll find those at minecraft.net as well. They said, we're now releasing the first and hopefully only release candidate for Caves and Cliffs part one. If there are no major issues following this release, no further changes will be done before the full release. There's just a couple of fixed bugs, including custom player heads flashing when placed on armor stands. They improved desync issues when exiting a boat over a high latency connection. Good news for folks who find themselves stuck uh, wobbling on top of a boat when they try and get off it on a server. And there were a few crashes that got fixed. Uh, their hopes were unfortunately dashed because they did have to release a release candidate 2, uh, which is just follows on from the patch notes about release candidate 1. It just says fixed a few critical issues, which I presume relate to crashes and that kind of thing. So with release candidate 2 out of the way, the team seems pretty set on releasing on time, on schedule tomorrow, June 8th. Uh, the other two things we wanted to bring up were YouTube videos. Uh, from Minecraft on YouTube, there was a Caves in Cliffs special, Looking Forward, in which Alex Sandor and Agnes Larson answered questions about how the Caves in Cliffs update part one 
and part two are going to go, uh, looking ahead at how part two is going to incorporate into the game and existing worlds. Uh, very much worth watching. I recommend checking that one out. Uh, also worth watching if you are still kind of out of the loop with 1.17 and you need a good breakdown of where all of the new blocks and resources are going to be since they're not generating naturally in caves yet. Uh, Slice Lime, who is the Java tech lead, but also a, a YouTuber in his own right, has a video called How to Get All New Blocks in 1.17. It's only 11 minutes long and it's a really great breakdown of where to find everything, how to obtain it, and what's in Caves and Cliffs Update Part 1, and potentially you'll know what's going to be saved for Part 2. Uh, it also includes blocks that are only available in creative mode, or only available by the slash give command, which I think includes bundles and a couple of other features which are uh, currently taken out of the creative inventory and survival in... 1.17 but are still part of the code because they're going to be added back in for 1.18. Uh, I particularly enjoyed the the video from Slice Slime especially coming into this last episode before the release because I wanted a quick refresh on like what we've got how to get it all that kind of stuff uh, and uh, I want to update this the Citadel to 1.17 as soon as Fabric uh, and or Optifine catch up to the release. Um, maybe even faster if Sodium is ready ahead of Optifine, then I might uh, go that route for the time being as a test to see if it will happen. I still have performance issues on my PC, which is not a potato uh, when playing in the snapshot worlds without these tools, which is still quite frustrating. Um, but the good news is that, you know, by waiting a few days because of these mods, any issues that we don't know about with the release, any point like 17.1.2, they'll probably be um, addressed in the week or so it usually takes me to update the Citadel. Uh, I am going to have to do the whole chunk trimming thing as well. Um, so I'll be refer referring back to your tutorial for that, as a matter of fact. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think MCA selectors should be totally fine to use with 116.4 or 5 worlds uh, right now. I would recommend trimming your world before you update anything. This is not to, to, to the, the people listening in general rather than just you, Joel. I'm sure you know this already. Uh, but I would recommend uh, yeah, doing it before you update to 1.17 just in case there are any things in the 1.17 file format that uh, cause issues with MCA selector. So mm -hmm. yeah, wor worth doing in 1.16 if you're planning on doing it at all. The way that I normally do it is that I uh, download a backup of the Citadel. I then shut the server down uh, after obviously conferring with all of my server mates send them a backup so that everybody has a copy of everything that they've done you know so everybody has a nice kind of like uh timestamp, you know history file that they can always go back to uh and share that with everybody and then i go ahead and do the trim trimming of the chunks check it out in my own world i'll, I'll fly around some places that i thought might be problematic in a, in a creative world and then i i upload that you know functioning 117 world to the server uh, and go from there um, I'm looking forward to trying uh, some of the new blocks uh, in real time. I I've been kind of rushing through in the snapshot, uh, trying to kind of get to things. Uh, I'm, I tried building some things with Deep Slate, but I was building them almost entirely out of Deep Slate and getting a little bit frustrated. So I'm, I'm curious to see how that's going to work into my current project because I'm nowhere near done the medieval town. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like having so many different versions of Deep Slate, uh, I have to confess, I have totally forgotten about Slash. We haven't talked about Deep Slate tile blocks in yeah. weeks mm -hmm. uh, until I saw Slice Slime's video. I was like, oh yeah, that's a thing. I might have to look at those now. Um, and it led me to think about all the different things that that's sliced listed in that video. And I'm wondering if we're going to find that part one is the accent block update. Yeah, I, I, I can, I can buy that. You know, I mean, I'm using big air quotes, but like, I don't see myself 
building giant things out of these out of these new blocks. I want to use them and I can see myself using them. I just don't know, especially with some things like calcite is a very attractive block, but it's very limited. Yeah. So unless you have a ton of it, you're not building the white castle of your dreams. You know what I mean? Like yeah, you're going to find other blocks to, to help you along. I tuned into a couple of people's streams uh, over the weekend and they were using copper blocks as accents because presumably it was difficult to find more than a few blocks of it, especially if they had other objectives in mind. Um, yeah, I, I kind of I kind of see where you're coming from. Personally, I think this update is going to be one where I find all of those blocks kind of out of context, and it's going to be a lot more about how I want to use them and bringing them to a different environment and, and using them to the best of my ability there. And then part two is going to be adapting what I build to the natural environment I'm going to find those blocks in. Uh, like, my example here is moss blocks. I think I'm going to have a a 1.17 where I spend mo like I spend a lot of time terraforming this desert environment with moss and making the land around water sources more fertile looking and, you know, oases and, you know, fertile rivers and farmland and that kind of thing. And then in 1.18, I plan on going and finding a nice lush cave environment and then building based on that rather than taking the blocks out of their context and using them elsewhere. Which is kind of the reverse of how things normally are, right? Because you're used to exploring an update for the first time, finding the environment that those blocks are in. Say, like, with the Nether update, you go and find a warped forest, and you're like, wow, this is what these blocks look like in context. That's really cool. Now let me take them and go and use them elsewhere in other projects. I feel like with the Caves and Cliffs update, it's kind of going to be the reverse of that, where you find the blocks out of context first. Yeah, no, I think so too. It, yeah, the, the way that you find... For example, deep slate does not at all inform you how you're going to use it. Yeah. Right. Like it just, it's just, it's, it's in the same way you're finding a lot of these things in the same way that you're finding stone and andesite and granite, like, you know, tough, you know, it's all just going to be blobs around the bottom of the world. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, I will say, and I don't know whether you've experienced this in your, in your, uh, SMP, uh, playthrough so far, but I found that once I got fortune, it did really change my outlook on copper. Like all of a sudden I had enough to play with it, not just, take a look at one or two blocks and think like, all right, well, I got two. Like, what do I do with two? Yeah. You know, but then you, once you have like, you know, 16 or 18 blocks, you're like, okay, what does this look like if I make a door frame or a wall or a pillar? Or what does it look like in a two by two? Like that I found really kind of opened up my design brain as far as, as copper goes. Having fortune was, was key to that for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I expect that having fortune from the get-go is really going to make it more accessible to me. And I, I expect a lot of my Chopping Tuesday streams are just going to be me gathering copper from now on. Um, it's it's interesting you mentioned your um, chunk border trimming as well, because in the Looking Forward video that Minecraft teams made for their YouTube channel, it I think it's, it's interesting that they point out they are planning on having uh, blending being introduced to transitions between old and new terrain. And so I wonder how how driven that's going to be by the terrain generation based on the seed and like the sort of noise map it generates and how much is going to be more of like the game's interpretation and a bit more randomized and i'm wondering if you start deleting chunks can you delete the entire thing and have it regenerate is it going to regenerate differently i'm i'm kind of curious about how that's all going to work but this is why i think the uh the video is so interesting to watch is it gives you a bit of insight into what the team has going on for part two um, it also introduced another thing that I haven't really heard them talk about 
when it comes to the split between uh, part one and part two, sort of aside from the kind of the team health and so forth, uh, Alex's reasoning for splitting the update features was that it allows the team to take a more focused approach to developing part two. And so that's kind of the the rationale they're working with now is that developers aren't going to be distracted from making cave biomes awesome by having to come in and patch up elements of axolotl behavior or goat spawning or anything like that. Like once those features are out there and in the world and, you know, maybe a couple of dot releases for 1.17 are going to tweak anything else that needs dealing with, then they're going to be able to just put all of their effort into making the caving experience and the mountains and everything uh, a lot better. And it seems like they're quite far along with that already. Now they're just trying to work out how 3D biomes are going to work which is a term that they used in the video as well. So it seems like that's the kind of the accepted approach to how lush caves and dripstone caves are going to generate. And then how terrain is going to blend is is an interesting problem. I feel like some of these things that we've covered on the show have either been because we've caught them in tweets or because we're just kind of inferring from the knowledge that we both have about Minecraft. But it's really nice to have an official video that's answering some questions just straight up, you know, because I, I had a lot of questions um, similar to the, the answers that they gave coming in in Twitch chat, you know, like when I'm doing the snapshot stuff, people that haven't been keeping up with the news, maybe you're new to the Spongebob's podcast and just like, well, I haven't listened to the last six or eight episodes. Like what, how does this work? How do you know, where do you find those? And yeah. how is this going to work from 117 to 118? And I think that's, um, I think it's, it's a nice way to concisely and as always, passionately communicate how they're working on these things yeah um, i think it's it's very good that they're doing this and to, to mojang's credit they're doing a fantastic job of communicating these things i feel like there are some folks in the community who for whatever reason these videos aren't reaching and so i feel a, a real responsibility from us as a, a, a podcast to try and you know emphasize that these these videos are out there there are people showing you where to get all of this stuff because there still seem to be people asking on every other thing well how is this going to work like where do i find this i don't i don't know and and the resources are out there for you to to track down moss blocks and glowberries and deep slate and and all of that stuff in in 1.17 these videos are are absolutely worth watching and they're all pretty concise they're they're a quick watch yeah, no, I, I agree. Uh, which actually leads me to a question that I just, just, just dawned on me. I feel like we've talked about this a little bit on the show, but we're seeing this split between 117 and 118. Uh, as a result, the individual uh, updates are smaller. Uh, they're not small updates. They're smaller than they were previously planned. Um, how do you feel about June and December? As like, would you prefer Minecraft to have slightly smaller updates where the team can focus on a narrower set of features and, and, and things to add to the game and have it come out twice a year as opposed to one big one and then a little like a smaller like a much much smaller update in December I like it yeah I, I think it's a mm. um, it's a, a good approach I think it's difficult for them to announce something that has as big a theme as this without Expect everyone expecting it all to come along at once, you know. And I don't know if this part one, part two thing is necessarily what they're going to work on, but I do, yeah, I do, I do wonder if having a a twice yearly, a bi a biannual uh, approach to updates is going to 
going to make sense for the for the future. It's certainly something we saw with Village and Pillage and then the Buzzy Bees update because that was smaller content-wise but had so much of the the kind of bug fixes and and back-end improvements and new rendering engine and stuff like that that all happened under the hood. Um, I, this is cannibalizing a little bit from our later discussion, but when I was looking back at the Nether update and looking at the Minecraft wiki for it, it hadn't really occurred to me yet that the Nether update has been out for nearly a year. You know, for some reason, maybe just because of how warped time has been over the last little while, I forgot that it released in June 2020. And so it has really been a year since we're getting new content. If they delayed all of Caves and Cliffs to the end of the year and it all came out in December, that'd still be like 18 months since the last Minecraft update. And it's been a long time since we've gone that long without a, a significant content update. So I do think it's kind of nice that they're bringing out one half of the content beforehand. I think for me with the Citadel, because we already have a number of data packs on the server, including a couple of, of mods, because we run Fabric for performance, but we also have a map uh, and, and a shulker box tooltip, um, I think I'll be adding data packs to get access to some of the creative slash give only command blocks. I obviously have to talk to other server mates to see whether they're okay with that. Um, and I don't know what that's going to look like from a balance perspective. Uh, but one of the things that did stick out to me is that the only place the only place that you can get small drip leaf is from the wandering trader yeah uh-huh once you have it you can bow mill it into large drip leaf and grow that to your heart's content and harvest that as much as you want but you can only get the small drip leaf from the wandering trader no other way yeah uh, and that to me is it's like well i don't know how to how to make necessarily a recipe for that but i could see people changing that to say like well sure but like the moss block which you can get from the wandering trader or have i think it's a 42 percent chance or 39 i can't remember the stats are in a slice video um but you find them in shipwrecks and i can see people using data packs to change the loot table of shipwrecks or um, you can find glowberries in um, mineshaft, uh, abandoned mineshaft chests. I can see people adding a slight chance for like um, small drip leaf in those situations to have it be just a little bit easier to come by. Yeah, I, I think even a crafting recipe for drip leaf, if you want to kind of hack one in, you could very easily put like, you know, grass and a lily pad or something, you know, the, right. the, or, or something like that. Vines and lily pads, the kind of things that are going to be, you know, maybe a little bit slower to gather initially, but still allows you to have a bit of a bit of flexibility with that. So, yeah, I, I am personally going to be petitioning because I live in a desert and I'm surrounded by rabbits uh, for the SMP that I'm on to include a bundle that has the data pack recipe added at uh, the, mm -hmm. the in, in you include a, a data pack that has the bundle recipe added back in because oh boy uh i i really want to play around with bundles and as far as i can tell they are more or less a complete feature as intended so we'll we'll see um let's move on to email though because otherwise we're going to be talking about this forever and the goal here is to to look back at 116 although we're all obviously looking forward to 117 um i'll read this first email uh, if you would like to email the show and i'm sure people will have lots of opinions about 117 that they want to share with us next week the email address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com please use that address if you want to email the show this one comes in from captain ck plays with the sub the subject of mods and vanilla Hello, Johnny and Joel. Loving the podcast as always. I just listened to episode 143 today and wanted to let Joel know about a modest mod. I think Joel might enjoy the Lucky Block mod. Uh, I watched Wattles make a YouTube series using this mod and it looks awesome. Wattles uses a data pack called Mobs Drop Lucky Blocks as well. 
Uh, so instead of the lucky blocks being uncommon, any mobs you kill, drop them. Uh, for more information, the video uh, he watched is in the email. Uh, speaking of mods, I personally think 1.17 and 1.18 feel a little bit modded. Yes, I get that as Minecraft continues to evolve it will add new features, but the Deep Slate, Goats and the Axolotl all feel like mods to me. I've never used mods before, only data packs and resource packs. The reason is because I don't think modded Minecraft provides a Minecrafty experience. Of course, this is only my personal opinion. So what do you think? How are mods and vanilla Minecraft going to roll out in the future? Stay chunky. Captain CK Plays was skewered by a falling stalactite. I like that Captain CK Plays has seen their own death in the future. <laughs> it's very Final Destination somehow, isn't it? <laughs> right? Um, uh, nothing happens until at least tomorrow, we know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh have you have you checked out the lucky block mod do you uh, have any thoughts on that one i took a quick spin through uh waddle's video i'm familiar with waddles i subscribe to him on, on youtube and watch his content from time to time uh and i don't necessarily know if it's for me but thanks very much for sharing i need to look into it further uh to see if either it or aspects of it are something that i can uh take advantage of uh i really think that um the the world generation in 118 does feel modded but i don't feel like that it's a bad thing uh, yeah i think what mojang is taking from basically what mods have been doing for a long time is just taking that that thing that players like making it their own implementing it in a thoughtful way that adheres to the core gameplay of minecraft uh and and i think it works uh especially looking at things like the deep caves and the the train updates and the mountains uh it, it really does remind me of the things that i was drooling over when i first discovered like uh biomes of plenty and uh that other mod pack we talked about a long long time ago uh open terrain um, generator is oh, thank you yeah, yes open terrain that generator. one um and i don't think goats deep slater axolotls feel modded especially after playing with them um axolotls look a little bit funny but they just they're no weirder than chickens uh as far as they're chickens of the deep dark i guess uh they're, yeah they're just they don't they don't strike me as too far outside the the box goats especially i feel like goats if anything goats just feel like a nice vanilla mod uh mob excuse me and then make cows and, and sheep feel a little bit dated you know, like yeah. I kind of would like some improvements to those models to kind of go along with. And it doesn't take a lot. It's just that the goat has just had, it's got modern design sensibilities. It's been designed in 2020, 2021 instead of, you know, 2000 and, you know, was eight or 12, whenever nine, yeah, ish. Yeah. Nine, you know, like, you know, whenever cows are being developed, like it, they, they haven't changed a whole lot since I don't think, um, so yeah, like that kind of stuff, I don't necessarily feels very modded. But like I said, it's like you said, actually, uh, Captain CK, it's all in the eye of the beholder. And I mean, some people might even split a hair and say that data packs are mods, right? They're just mods that you don't need a separate launcher to run in yeah. Minecraft. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I will roll out the old adage that every new feature feels modded until it's been in the game for two weeks. Um, I, I, having played on this pre-release server for a few days now i'm already getting used to stuff like the spyglass and copper and copper has obviously been a mainstay of tech mods for the longest time it's a sensible metal to add to any any mod pack that introduces electricity and other forms of power um but i think copper is you know obviously being used in a different way in vanilla it's you know meant as a building block rather than as a technological one the the highest technology you get is a telescope and a lightning rod um 
but I, I think the to, to paraphrase some stuff I've seen the developers say before, I think the most important thing for them is giving everything in Minecraft a consistent tone and style. And that's really where it differs from community-made mods, because you can make a mod basically whatever you want. And I think with Minecraft, they are taking very great care to make sure everything fits with the existing world and feels like it could have been there from the beginning, you know? And I feel like that's not necessarily an approach modders always take unless they are very focused on a vanilla plus feel. Um, when it comes to, yeah, Deep Slate and stuff like that, I think I've seen mods that included blocks like that, but those weren't necessarily mods that I thought felt really outlandish for the vanilla game. I think the closest we had to Deep Slate textures might have been variants of stone that you'd get in, yeah, a Biomes of Plenty style mod pack or something that if you put stone into the chisel mod, if it gave you like a bunch of different alternate textures for stone that really just helped you with building and didn't have any other purpose. I think deep slate is kind of part of that, but as a material in its own right. And I I have no problem with it as far as like, you know, <laughs> I don't think it feels particularly modded at this point, but maybe it's just because I'm so immersed in vanilla and we've been checking up on the development of vanilla week to week that i'm i'm just used to talking about it in that context at this point i was speaking with alistair before the show and we were just talking about the updates and he's been avoiding them because he wants to have that discovery on his own when he when he uh plays so he he listens to the spawn chunks and picks up some stuff like you know sideways but he doesn't he hasn't gone and looked at things he hasn't played in the snapshot he hasn't watched the videos and so for him, it might feel new and weird and modded. So I'll I'll ask him like like how it feels to play with these things because I, I agree with you. I think that we, having done the podcast about it week to week, have long since accepted them as like vanilla rolling forward. Whereas when they first came out, we were like, oh, weird candles. Like, you know, mm -hmm. that's a lightning rod? Okay. Yeah, like, yeah. I remember those reactions to be like, okay, well, now I just look at it like, well, this is pretty par for the course, right? Yeah, seeing all of this stuff that's been added to the game since back when I started playing in Minecraft 1.8 uh, would be huge. You know, it's double the amount of features or more that have been added to the game since then. And I think it's uh, it's it's always going to seem like a huge jump to anybody who's climbing multiple versions to get to some of the newer stuff, which, yeah, I feel like the modded community might even end up doing at some point if they have been hanging around a specific version of the game for a little while. We will see. Um, let's move on to our second email, though, so then we can uh, wrap this up and get into the discussion. Email number two comes from Fiery Crystal Ceramic Pots Rollout. I get that reference. I'm old enough to get that reference. <laughs> Hello, Joel Duggan and Pixel Riffs. I like that you used my first and last name. Uh, I have been a longtime listener of the podcast and recently wanted to write an email for the two of you about an idea that I totally see being implemented into the game. A movable storage container in the form of a ceramic pot. Bear with me here. First of all, the crafting recipe would involve water and clay to make a sculpture slash clay pot, where, which can be heated in a furnace to harden and make it functional. This ties relatively well uh, into how pottery is made in real life, considering that clay is shaped using significant moisture and then hardened when a pot, uh, pot is put into a kiln or warm enough heat source. Pots are used for different purposes, but if we are talking about video game pottery, it's commonly worked uh, used as a container uh, for items the player needs, as well as pushable blocks that are used for occasional puzzles. That's exactly how I envision ceramic pots to function in Minecraft. It could give a lot of freedom for how players want to use it, 
either for decorative builds, storing items, redstone contraptions, block puzzles, and even minigames. Bonus points if the player can push the pots after they walk into them. But wait, there's more. Ceramic pots could also be used for storage extension in shulker boxes, essentially multiplying the space that it has to offer. Each box could be limited for how many could be stored into a shulker box, so it's not an overpowered feature. It also makes sense realistically since stuffing in heavy pots into a shulker box would quickly make things pretty cramped. What do you guys think of this idea? You're a pot, Harry. Fiery. <laughs> I, I don't know if Fiery has missed the talks about archaeology. We haven't covered archaeology too much on the show because we never had a prototype of it to play with in pre-releases and then of course it got delayed and uh, is no longer in scope for the Caves and Cliffs update. But I, I wonder if, yeah, you're thinking along the same lines as the developers here because clay pots uh, being fired over an open flame was part of the uh the the kind of introductory video to archaeology that played at last year's minecraft live so i'm i'm thinking you're along the right lines i do like the idea of tying it into the way these pots appear in other video games for like block puzzles when you're shifting stuff around a room and you know I think think back to any Legend of Zelda game where you do a spin attack with a sword to break a bunch of pots, you know? It kind of makes sense. And I do wonder how that could be implemented in, in Minecraft. The pushing mechanic is interesting. We don't have a great deal of stuff that is pushed by player movement into it. That's typically more mobs and entities than it is blocks. Um, the implication being that a lot of the time to move blocks around, you have to use redstone, like pistons and so forth so it could be interesting to have a block that is solid but still movable when the player interacts with it for a certain amount of time and again i'm not sure how that would end up being coded but it seems like a uh, a neat way of doing things maybe breaks with minecraft's existing conventions about the player has to break something with left click or you know use it with right click and yeah i'm not sure what that would mean for the game in general i can see clay pots like that looking very good in sort of desert villages and that kind of stuff though mm -hmm. i immediately think of the clay pots that you get emeralds from in minecraft dungeons that's yeah. kind of where my brain yeah exactly my brain goes right away uh i and i know that clay pots have come up on on the show before with archaeology but what i pulled from archaeology what we little we know was that the clay pots were basically decorative and yeah. maybe a bit of a status symbol because you could paint a story on the side of them sort of deal uh, with the limited pixel art that's available in minecraft and there was really not much function if any at all, communicated to the community. So uh, I felt there was a huge like missed opportunity there uh, at that point. And, and that's why I wanted to grab this email and toss it in here is because I like the idea of having a movable storage container provided it's codable in Java. Uh, and for me, what I've noticed um, is I like this uh, tooltip mod that i have on the citadel the only thing it does is let you look inside a shulker box you can't pick from it you can't store extra stuff it's just a way to look inside the shulker box without putting it down first so it's a it's like a pop-up kind of overlay of an inventory rather than it being a a written list of the first exactly. five items yeah yeah 
so very quickly you can say, oh, that's my, you know, diorite box. That's my stone box. Because there's only so many different colors in Minecraft. And I color code my shulkers. But when you've got six different kinds of stone, they're all gray shulker boxes. You know? Yeah. Like, and so and you, also when you have that list and it only lists the first five things, the first five spaces could be taken up with stacks of cobblestone. But then you've got some other important stuff later on in the shulker boxes inventory that just doesn't get listed there and then you're walking yeah. around going where are my ender pearls and it turns out you've put them at the end of the cobblestone box yeah and and i like the idea of uh which i discovered using the ink sacks on the snapshot server the glow ink sacks i color-coded my storage system just to kind of have an excuse to use the glow inks and it became remarkably easy mm -hmm. to just i didn't even have to i did write things like redstone but i didn't have to i could have just put a bunch of red bars and stuck that sign on the chest and i immediately would have known that's the redstone chest right and so having a container that contains something like wheat or any kind of vegetable or, or any kind of other thing gravel sand whatever if you can put stuff in it and it could visually show you what's in it very similar to how a composter looks like it's full of um podzle at the very top with like mm -hmm. a little bit of bone meal kind of sprinkled on uh, if that was communicated, that would be very handy for big farms that you're storing a lot of stuff in. It would be great if you're looking inside a shulker box that can hold these clay pots and you can look, oh, that one's full of gravel, that one's full of sand, that, you know, rather than having to hover over each one. Uh, now, um, the way that Fiery um, put, put it in their email, they were saying that the shulker box should be restricted as to how many... Um, uh, clay pots they could hold i think the reverse would probably be the better way to implement that i think that maybe the inventory of a a clay a giant clay pot could be maybe it can only hold one kind of item so once you start putting wheat in it you can't put anything else in it uh, or maybe it's only got five stacks of items like a hopper like so not as big as a chest but it's movable so there has to be some sort of balance trade-off there i think um i i tried looking up what like a giant clay pot is called because i know that i've seen them like i've seen these they're as big as people sometimes out, out in the world and there is no name for them they're just called giant clay pots <laughs> i thought there'd be something specific the closest thing i could find was called a, an olus i think and that's specifically for the garden so it's an unglazed clay pot so you wouldn't be able to put uh, anything but like you know a plant in it that's kind of what it's designed for and it sort of looks like it has a very narrow neck within a very wide base is kind of what it what it looks like yeah the, um, what, what immediately comes to mind for me is an amphora um, or amphora depending on how you pronounce it i'm not certain uh, it's a greek word i think but it's um you know those those sort of very um like asterix-esque you know jugs of wine that they'd have in like a cellar somewhere in mm -hmm. like you know roman houses and that kind of thing like they're they're from from ancient greece and rome they uh they don't freestand a lot of the time i feel like some of them have like very narrow bases and they're meant to sit in some sort of rack and hold wine and liquids upright um so yeah like that that's the the stuff that comes to mind for me but there's probably a a, <laughs> a greater variety of those than than i know about myself but yeah that's that's where my brain goes so what do you say we move on to looking back at the nether update yeah let's do that let's 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 move on to looking back and we decided that it was probably going to be a, a nether update wrap-up show since the update for caves and cliffs doesn't come out until tomorrow and i went back to our show notes for episode 95 which was the first uh episode we did after the release of the nether update once again june 29th 2020 
Um, and yeah, it, it's it's been a year roughly since the Nether update was released. Looking at the notes back then, uh, I updated the survival guide world, obviously. Um, so I didn't immediately get stuff like nether biomes right next to my nether spawn point. I had trimmed a 300 block radius, um, and so I didn't get rough spots of new biomes right away on entering the nether. I think since then, uh, I've had a few more adventures in 1.16 worlds, and you, you still do the eye roll when you spawn in a huge soul sand valley or a basalt delta, right? <laughs> that's. I feel like that's one of the things the nether update has really changed about the early game in a new world is the f the spawn can be like a variety of really bad situations quite quickly that was my experience when i was doing a little bit of a snapshot play uh for 116 was i spawned in a i think it was one way was a desert was a soul sand valley the other way was a basalt delta and i died several times yeah. in the delta mm. just from being pushed into lava or just falling into lava like it was it was tough uh they the change definitely made the nether more dangerous and in a good way i'm not necessarily complaining yeah it just like you go in there thinking you're gonna own face because you're used to the nether and then you realize oh no i have to rethink this like i can't go in there willy-nilly with some armor i have to have good armor i have to have good tools i have to have enough food and maybe even some you know healing potions or something you know the nether update in general has changed the nether extremely for the better. There's so much more life there and variety that it actually it makes the nether a more attractive and more dangerous at the same time dimension to visit now. You go back and look at the nether pre-116, it looks incredibly bland now by comparison which feels like an awful thing to say because of course like you know it was the nether that we were all used to at the time and it was it was fine it was just something that we i want to say tolerated <laughs> and now in 1.16 the nether can feel like a dangerous place but a, a, a genuinely exciting dimension to explore and there's greater variety of mobs there there are more significant dangers and I feel like with the new nether you can you can get attacked almost immediately because piglins don't like you if you're not wearing gold whereas before you used to come to the nether and if you weren't in a nether fortress or immediately being bombarded by ghasts the zombie pigmen kind of left you alone so I think there's there's so much more immediate nature of the nether now than there used to be I think that's probably my biggest takeaway is how attractive it is uh -huh. like how like i mean dangers aside like it's still it's interesting to look at even if you are avoiding the dangerous place as it goes by in the distance it's still really cool looking you know like it's it's it looks wonderful from over here yeah. <laughs> you know uh that kind of stuff i find is, is really um something that even helped us because we did a lot of chunk trimming on the citadel before we updated and uh i had to do it twice because the first time there was too many chunk borders and it looked a little bit chunky and weird but as i pushed the border back you were still able to see that crimson forest that decided to spawn in at, on the other side of the lava lake that we've been walking past for months you know and it, it it changed it like it changed the feeling you felt like you were in more of a living environment than just a game design level right yeah. it went from feeling like the lava level or the dungeon levels in super mario to something that was a lot more alive and, and had more of a, a modern feel to it. And the art team has done a phenomenal job in, mm -hmm. I mean, everything they've done recently, I think, but also just in making the nether feel 
alive with these things that feel native to their dimension you know it's it's very different from just putting trees in there you know uh with warped and crimson especially there's there's just so much difference to it there's so much like vitality to it but a, a weird dark vitality at the same time um yeah i i think honestly like flying through the nether aside from still being the best way to get around the nether now like i i spent so little time building tunnels in the nether this time around because i was able to navigate by landmarks in the nether which i really didn't feel like i could before um and it's just fun to explore it's fun to find yourself weaving through a basalt delta or you know taking shelter under a a canopy of a warped forest until you could wait for a ghast to pass on and grab some more fireworks or something i think it it really made it a much more vibrant landscape to explore and like more importantly i think than even that it added a survival progression to the nether you can acquire wood in the nether now and i can't imagine the nether without it at this point you've got you know wood and stone and then from there there are various ways of acquiring the other resources so i think it's having made a survival progression possible uh, one of the things i'm most excited about having done in 116 is starting a survival mini series where i spawned in the nether and had to do the tool progression before i could make it back to the overworld and you know work my way up to getting diamond and even netherite equipment um it would not have been possible and wouldn't have even been particularly fun if it was possible in the old nether whereas now there's such a variety of landscapes to choose from and so many different ways that you can make that happen for yourself i think it was one thing just to add a source of wood but to add choice in your sources of wood and add like an element of gameplay that required exploration and allowed you to choose how risky you wanted to play it i think makes a big difference to survival in the nether now yeah i mean it's one of the reasons why i didn't really explore the nether too much in my early snapshot playthrough last spring because i it was too challenging like i just i didn't have i i had to retrain my brain i was trying to rush through the 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 update to try and get to the new things and i just had to change the way i thought about it because the progression was limited because of the difficulty and the dangers and all that kind of stuff and uh on the citadel I really haven't done much, uh, despite how much I like the Nether update and how cool it looks. Uh, and I think it comes down to two things. The main project I've been working on since November of 2020 has been an overworld medieval city. So yeah. mm-hmm. it's not a Nether build. I didn't. I wasn't working on our Nether hub. Like we didn't. I didn't have that. Um, and the Citadel is nearly a four-year-old server, and our Nether, the farms within it, and the immediate Nether network to get to all the other pre-established people that play on the server was already there yeah so we already had like finished sandstone tunnels and and ice tunnels and like we had all that kind of stuff i mean far afield it's mostly cobblestone and you know just the functional kind of nether tunnel yeah the functional kind of stuff right but but really like there wasn't a big reason to go in because like we just didn't need to go to a warped forest other than just to go look at it and say it's cool we did and i got some stuff to say like oh cool now that i can come back i can grow these and harvest these if i need them in the future but i just never got there for me um for me i i feel like the things that i i skipped over because of the age of the server were piglin bartering striders bastions magma spawners piglin brutes never even saw one uh <laughs> re- respawn anchors lodestones 
there is piglin bartering now manually on the server. There's not like a big, you know, area, but it's, I think some per, somebody set up like one or two uh, piglins to do manually. It's like it's not a big system. It's just if you have to go get your own gold and just walk up and trade with mm-hmm. them. Yeah. Um, but I've not done it yet because I've just I've not had the need. I just have all the resources that I I need, or I have other ways of getting them. Like, do I want to go trade with a piglin for? gravel or do i want to go back to the ocean floor that we generated in 112 and just scoop it up right? yeah so there's there's a couple of different things like that that affect the citadel in a unique kind of way um i also didn't build with the crimson or warped hyphae wart roots warped nylium i can't say crimson nylium i just use that in the butcher shop i think for the first time mm-hmm. uh on the weekend to make a bloody floor um but yeah like other than that like i just i haven't found a use for them i've seen uses for them i've watched you know my favorite creators on hermitcraft and other youtube creators do nether tunnels with like warped woods with like cool animated bark textures like just i've seen it and i know it's cool and i know it's usable it's just that i haven't had much experience with it and i didn't think about it much until i went to to reflect on this for, for the show today and i think most of my nether update has been living vicariously through this show yeah it's it's weird because when i went back through the minecraft wiki article about 116 i did realize that there were despite me being somebody who likes to use every part of survival and has touched every part of the game at at some point or another there were still things that i felt like i didn't use to their fullest potential like i mean respawn anchors were added in this update so you could set your spawn point in the nether that feels momentous and yet the nether in a long-term survival world never really feels like somewhere i want to set my spawn and build a base you know it might be convenient but you know realistically respawning in the overworld and just hopping through a nether portal again would not be the biggest inconvenience to me i think i used them once or twice when i was doing my nether survival series but i focused most of the time on not dying so i didn't need to respawn anyway and yeah i wonder if there is scope for respawn anchors to have more of a purpose in future i've definitely seen people using them for you know theoretical mini game setups but i don't know of many people who want to make mini games in the nether where they could just be you know you know gameplay was delayed by gusts is not something you want to hear um i feel like i haven't done enough with blackstone ironically for somebody who's just rebuilt an entire bastion remnant in the in the overworld <laughs> I, I feel like i didn't do enough with blackstone as its own block like I've, I've used maybe like a couple of walls here and there and and like you said almost as accent blocks more than a bulk building material i find it more useful for that than i do anything else i've used it more naturally in, in sort of natural cases where I built a more volcanic looking area and had blackstone and basalt mixed into that in their raw forms, but not the processed chiseled blackstone brick polished variants and that kind of stuff. And I've seen people building entire, you know, demonic castles and, you know, towers of Sauron kind of thing out of blackstone. And I just don't feel particularly compelled to do that. But maybe what I was waiting for was something like Deep Slate to act as a go-between for gradient builds and that kind of thing. As far as blocks and stuff go, I didn't make a great deal of use of lodestones. I thought they were a really great feature and they look very cool if you want to build them, but I was saving all of my netherite for other things. Um, Chiseled and cracked nether bricks and quartz bricks were added in this update. I feel like I have used none of those, even though I've, you know, at least crafted them to go, oh, hey, that's a thing that we have now. I don't really feel the need to use them all that often. 
And there are a few other things like the snout banner pattern from uh, from Bastions. I've got a bunch of those now, but never really felt compelled to design banners with them. And Zoglins, I feel like I didn't really mess with those at all because it turns out the process of getting a Hoglin to the overworld is pretty stressful. <laughs> so th there's so many aspects of this update that I think introduced fringe features and things that are going to be good in circumstantial ways and for some people the building materials especially are going to be what they've wanted for a long time but it still feels like there's elements of this that i haven't really touched on to the fullest extent that i could it's funny you know like there's there's even blocks in another update that i've i've just not touched or thought about for a long time where there's they, they could be useful in the the build that i'm on now on the citadel in in terms of the quartz bricks and things like that that i just you know it's like, I know it's going to have its use. I just haven't gotten to it yet. Yeah. And I guess that that does come down to a symptom, symptom sometimes of, of players like us playing Minecraft at our own pace. You know, you're like you're a builder. You're building, you're building the project. And it's the project that comes first rather than I want to use the quartz block and then trying to figure out what to use the quartz block on or the quartz brick block. You know, it's, it's, it's usually for me, the project comes first, not the block. Uh, yeah. And when I've tried that, it's failed miserably. Uh, I tried to do a big blackstone build. Uh, I tried to do a blackstone hall or netherite hall, which was meant to be basically like a staging area for people in the server if they wanted to go netherite mining. I was going to decorate the main tunnel down the middle, and then people could just branch off left or right, depending on which way they wanted to go and look for netherite at a certain level and not have to worry about having like stuff come up behind you and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I, I got frustrated with it. I, I couldn't really get it to do what I wanted, uh, in this, in the same vein that, that you just mentioned, I, I think I'll try again when deep slate is available and see if that can help me, um, spice it up a bit, break it up a bit. Um, in my, I guess, defense, or I guess in Blackstone defense, it was also a very challenging build underneath a lava lake. There's a lot of deaths. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're, you're putting yourself in dangerous circumstances anyway. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, the lava dripping from the ceiling looks really cool. I did walk by the other day uh, on, on stream because I was looking for more basalt, uh, which I think is probably the nether block from 116 that I've used the most. I've used it in pillars. I've used it as like an ashy, dirty cobblestone from the side, mm -hmm. provided you can hide the side textures that are that look like wood. It looks like a petrified log in some cases. So if you wanted to do like a burnt down house or something, it works very well. Like there's a bunch of cases like that. I've definitely used blackstone in the overworld. I did make a roof out of it. It's not my favorite, but it's the black block that looks like roof tile that I have right now. Again, yep. probably going to explore, explore what that looks like with Deep Slate because there's just still too much purple in Blackstone for me um, for it to kind of mesh well with the other warm tones in the overworld. I find it quite challenging. It looks better in the nether. I'll say that. Uh, but when you bring, bring Blackstone to the overworld, it, it starts to pop out as a really odd hue. Um, the... Uh, the others, the things with with basalt, or actually rather with blackstone that I've used, have been very, very specific. Uh, the ash in the bottom of a fire pit or a fireplace, like blackstone, works mm -hmm. just fine. Yeah, you know, like that kind of stuff. Uh, and owning a new barbecue, I can tell you, looks pretty accurate. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. You know, like you know, like it, it looks like that. Especially if you've got other things like gravel or or cobblestone nearby, like it really does sort of look like ash and sooty stuff. Um, so yeah, I, there, I, everything has its uses, but I, I've not found a big one, uh, for Blackstone. Uh, and especially because there's just so many variants of it and they all seem to just not 
hit a note with me yeah so i've I found that pretty challenging i think the important thing to realize as with every update really and as with the features that are coming out in the caves and cliffs update is that this is just the beginning of all of these features you know that they are mm -hmm. they're going to remain in the game minecraft does not sunset content in the way that some other games do it, it doesn't get like thrown in the vault you know it is a, a perpetual cycle of upgrades and expansions it's a continuously expanding game and so what doesn't feel right for blackstone now might feel perfect later on you know you might the the project might occur to you at some point where it can be something that's project driven rather than i need to use this block somehow it's more like the block will suggest itself to you as the ideal for something else so i i do think there is a lot to be done with these blocks in future and maybe just introducing them in the nether update was you know a, a good way to get used to what they are before you can understand how you want to use them in your in your future builds and i think the same is going to be true of copper in this update people are going to find it maybe difficult to get hold of and maybe a little bit difficult to work with the aging mechanic is going to throw some people off but then if you want to roll back to you know copper once you know the next update is out and you think oh copper would look really good here then it's going to be there for you i think that's probably how it'll work out um pivoting slightly how do you feel about netherite i mean i updated two picks but that's it yeah and uh -huh. i mean it's fine i'm not saying it's bad i mean it's more durable uh it you know it it it's still it's i've been meaning to update my netherite pick texture forever uh, only because I have a different shape to my diamond pickaxes and I've changed them and most people know this, but I never bothered to do it with a netherite pick. So my netherite pick just looks like a regular netherite pick. And I don't have the enchantment glint in my texture pack. It's just plain, even though it's fully enchanted. Yeah. And uh, I don't mind it. Like I like the color. It, it's, it, it does not get confused with anything else. You know immediately that you're holding a netherite pick. Uh, I could use a netherite shovel with all the landscaping that I do in the, in the medieval town. Uh, but I just, I don't have enough netherite ingots and I just can't be bothered to go look for hours for more netherite. Like I just, the, the can't be bothered mood is, is, is big. Yeah. My biggest beef is just like, it's just such a pain in the butt to find. Like you think looking for iron in one of those, um, pre-release snapshots was a problem with 117. Like looking for netherite, I just find incredibly boring for longer periods of time than it takes to find diamonds. Like it just, I, you know, I don't, especially when I've got diamond gear, I've got four or five picks. I've got four or five shovels, four or five axes that are all got mending. Like I just, it takes no time to go to the piglin farm, uh, zombie piglin farm and regenerate my tools. It, yeah. Like 20 minutes tops. That includes the walk to and from while I'm chatting with the chat room. So like there's, yeah. you know, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't really, um, give me enough of a benefit to weigh the cost of going to look for it. Yeah. Um, that would be different if I was on a PvP server and I needed netherite <laughs> armor, right? Like uh -huh. you need different play styles require different things, right? Absolutely. And I think for what it's worth, netherite is a really good balance of rare, coveted, worthwhile, and unnecessary. <laughs> like this is this is how how I feel about it. And this is as somebody who has, yes, collected enough ancient debris to make a full beacon out of netherite, a, a full tier four beacon. I think it's a very smart way to implement it because you're upgrading diamond tools and armor not crafting things from scratch which means you need one ingot to upgrade a tool and then that is it for for life as long as you've got mending and you don't lose your tools and netherite tools being fireproof they are more difficult to lose i think netherite is a 
a pretty solid implementation because it's there for the people who want it but for folks like you who are like you don't even wear diamond armor you prefer to just kind of you know go through the motions with your existing tools and you're fine dipping out every so often to repair them um that's fine that's a, a completely legitimate approach to take to the game because you're playing at your own pace and i don't play enough pvp to know how netherite has affected anything about the pvp meta i would presume that most people are more concerned about um you know game modes where you don't really play survival as such or if you do you're playing in a like a uhc style environment you're playing ultra hardcore you've got two hours you're probably not going to get diamond in that time much less netherite um going to the nether may even not be possible you know i i i don't know if netherite is being made available in minigame contexts like bed wars or whatever but i do think there's going to be um you know a, a, a variety of approaches to netherite and i think the fact that it is so difficult to obtain gives the player so much more of a choice the kind of press your luck kind of thing of like do i want to put the time in so that everything can be netherite am i a completionist about this or do i just want to upgrade the things that matter and i think that's that's worth putting into a game like this because you know you you will get the people who want to hoard the stuff like a dragon and you will get the people who are absolutely not bothered and that's okay there are there are absolutely different play styles at work here and not everything is going to resonate with everybody you've reminded me of what i've done and i i forgot to mention something i have netherite boots uh-huh yeah Be because i'm famous for jumping off of things and cracking my ankles on stream <laughs> just it's yeah. constant and I, because i wasn't wearing diamond gear i was wearing iron gear even with all the uh enchantments on it i was still constantly having to repair my boots and so having netherite boots with all the enchantments just means that i like i don't even have to think about it most of the time do you do you mess with soul speed at all do you have soul speed on your boots no no yeah. i i we again we don't have the need because those i mean if i was to make a new tunnel sure Mm -hmm. I would give that a go, you know, but um, I think it was for me, I, when I looked at it, I switched to netherite boots because I didn't want the durability to go down fast and yeah. soul speed does that. That's kind of what prompted the question, really. Like I, yeah. I've, I've had soul speed on my boots because it's not mutually exclusive with anything and I may as well have it. And I've not really noticed the netherite boots wearing out significantly fast, but they have unbreaking as well. So that factors in a little yeah. bit. I think... Soul speed is only really necessary if you're traversing the nether on foot a lot, which in a built-up world you have a light tree, you don't really need to, and you've already got all of your tunnels kind of mapped out in the nether to the significant areas of the citadel anyway. So yeah, yeah I, I think soul speed is another one of those things where it's hit and miss. It's one of those optional features that you can mess with it if you want to. If you're going through a soul sand valley, there are sections where it's soul soil and it won't even slow you down, but it will make you faster overall still. So there's there's still some some options and some nuance to the entire thing. I would love a netherite frame on my elytra, because if I ever die in lava, <laughs> I would like to not lose those. Yes. Like there's, like there's little things like that that I think are missing. Like that would drive me to go get some netherite for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's maybe interesting, again, once again, netherite maybe having some potential for future updates depending on which direction they go with some of it um one thing i wanted to talk about as well and i think this is something that's going to be a fairly popular opinion is that the new music and the new ambient sound in the nether are wonderful um i'm really hoping for more ambience and or music when uh cave biomes are added especially for the deep dark i think ambience is going to be 
so important uh you know in terms of a soundscape when you're down there to add to the the atmosphere but considering how much i take it for granted now it would be weird going back to the nether in 1.15 and not hearing the kind of like dry cave crackling sounds as you walk into a uh you know, a different biome, but I mean, you wouldn't find a different biome in 115, but you know, my point still stands really. I think it's, it's so different having an ambient soundscape in the nether and it really adds to the atmosphere in, of the dimension along with all of the biomes. It's such a good complement to the change in the landscape of the nether. Yeah. In our live chat, that was one of the first things that came up when we switched over to talk about the nether update was the sound, sound effects. And I agree. Yep. It's a really fun experience to the point where I had a sound mod, uh, Mambience, uh, installed and was using that regularly. And I stopped using it because I wanted to get the the, the new nether sounds. It was replacing the existing. Uh, and when they updated the nether, I was like, nope, I want, I want the I want the existing. The new the new stuff was much better. A couple of other things I wanted to touch on briefly was that this update added ruined portals. So this was finally a hint for new players about how to construct a nether portal, something that players have suggested to be in the game for a long time, considering the game says go to the nether, but it doesn't necessarily tell you how to do that. I think it's kind of neat that we have those both in the overworld and in the nether, also as a way to potentially get yourself back if you end up getting stranded in the nether and need a way home um so that's that's pretty significant as well um in the same way as signposting lush caves with azalea trees and that kind of stuff there's going to be some some things pointing newer players in the right direction and encouraging progression um one of the things i went back to our notes for episode 95 one of the things i said that i still 100 percent stand by is that the quality of life features have been awesome in this update. Uh, the, the ones I pointed out were mending, not directing XP to your levels bar until everything you're holding or wearing is repaired. That to me feels like how mending should always have worked, <laughs> and the fact that it didn't before boggles my mind after a year of playing the nether update, <laughs> because I just take it for granted now. I walk up to my zombie pigman farm, I mend everything that I've got on me, my elytra, my helmet, you know, pickaxes, whatever, just flick around my uh, hotbar until it, everything's repaired, and it's really weird to me that it didn't work that way before, uh, and it does now. Um, this was also the hoe update uh, in the sense that hoes now have so many more uses than just tilling farmland. You can fortune leaves or silk touch them faster or, or as fast as shears can break them and for greater lengths of durability. Um, you have stuff like nether and warped wart being able to be composted and the amount of bone meal farms I have started using nether wart blocks now because I don't need the wart blocks for anything but I can always use the bone meal. Uh, and then, honestly, just a few of the control tweaks, like being able to swap anything into your offhand by highlighting it and pressing F, just like mouse over your shield, press F, it's there. You can do that out of the crafting interface if you want to, uh, and a few other tweaks to crafting as well. Like, there were so many tiny touches that, for me, have made this so much of a smoother experience in the same way that the, the pick block uh, middle mouse button click has become the way I build now. And so the quality of life features in this update really cannot be uh, overstated, I think. I agree. And I will add, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I think this is 116, but the uh, as a content creator, the F3 plus F4 game mode switcher, 
so to go into sort of creative or spectator at the drop of a hat mm-hmm. kind of thing instead yeah. of having to type out the full game mode spectator mm-hmm. command <laughs> yes yep. entirely so and and all it, the time it, it felt like almost a regression when they changed it so you couldn't just do slash game mode one or whatever the uh the code used to be for it and so yeah just having a keyboard shortcut for that is is really great when it comes to testing stuff in creative worlds i use it to go into spectator mode to take screenshots all of that is it's just Same. so yep so handy (laughs) and that's such a weird thing to be like this is one of the highlights of the nether update but you know when when you're making stuff on youtube and on twitch it just it really helps um but yeah i think overall like it's hard to say that the nether update had nothing bad about it but it's been such a strong update and such a great expansion really set the tone for updates in future and obviously mojang wanted to go one better with the caves and cliffs updates and life kind of got in the way of that a little bit and with them splitting it into two different parts it's going to be interesting to see how it follows on its heels but oh boy are we ready so i'm going to leave you folks to it that is where we're going to leave this episode of the spawn chunks you can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com The music for the show is composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. Thank you for supporting us through this nether update and beyond. Uh, If you're getting some value out of the show, please consider putting some value back in. You can visit patreon.com slash thespawnchunks to do that. Joining our community and pledging at any level gets you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat. You can listen to the show live as it is recorded every week, and it gets us closer to our next milestone goals that are listed on the Patreon page as well. We're currently at 251 patrons, which is down five from last week when we had 256. It may be, once again, Patreon rejigging stuff at the beginning of the month. Special thanks go out to our content engineers, General Pattern 82, Hunter 555, Jumbo Sale, and Yitz for your support on this episode. Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. However, just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance and say, listen to The Spawn Chunks. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Really, wherever you find a podcast. Email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Please use that address. The RSS feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com. And the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page, and that's the only place that you can listen to the render distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixarifs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixarifs, where the Minecraft Survival Guide Season 1 is wrapping up tomorrow with a final world tour. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, and tomorrow on Twitch I'm actually going to be watching all of the Episode 1s that I've ever made from vanilla Minecraft series in preparation for Episode 1 of the Hardcore Survival Guide, which is my 1.17 Hardcore World project. I'm also the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap. You can find that through a quick YouTube search expect a bit more action on that channel once hermitcraft kicks off their next season and aside from that i'm at pixel on both twitter and instagram joel where can people find you online everything i am doing online including my illustration and design portfolio is at joelduggan.com you'll also find a link there to the citadel cafe my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment i hung out with my friend steven and talked about jupiter's legacy this past week yes we know it was cancelled no we didn't know when we recorded yes you should still listen to the podcast you can follow me at joel duggan on social media and of course joel duggan on twitch where i am currently building a medieval town in minecraft and i might even delve into some modded in the near future so come check it out Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, and tomorrow it might look a little different.